can also provide and watch over her. And now, Lord, bless us as we turn once again to the, the prophecies of Isaiah and look regarding the, the work of your servant, of the perfect servant who came to rescue us. Bless us in our time together today. Amen. <clears throat> so Isaiah 49, starting at verse 8. I titled this section, The Servant Will Bless and Increase God's People. Uh, last week we had that really neat section. This is the, the second, what, you, what we might call, servant psalm. The servant was introduced when the Lord said, Here is my servant, in whom I delight. I'll pour out my spirit on him. And now we get to chapter 49. It, it's, it's talked about Cyrus as a servant. It's talked about Israel as a servant. But here, the, the true servant of the Lord, the perfect servant, speaks in chapter 49. And we saw him last, well, not last week, because last week was Thanksgiving, but two weeks back we saw him introduce himself. And we talked about how this can only be found in Christ. We, we saw in here Christ's humiliation and exaltation. Uh, a lot of things that point to the work of Christ, how he was like a secret weapon, and how Christ didn't give up or despair, even though it looked like things were pretty bleak for a, a time. He did not fail. Uh, and now we get to, oh, and also last week, that he's a universal Savior, a light for the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. Uh, now we get to... The servant's job description goes on in verses 8 to 26. So the Lord says he will use his servant to display his glory. Here we find out clearly that the glory of God is displayed in his works of destroying his enemies and rescuing his people. We're going to read verse 8 to 13. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. If you recall, um, just pausing right here, that the, the servant mentioned him previously was not going to establish a covenant. He would be a covenant. And think about how Christ said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that he himself really is the source of and foundation of that covenant. Okay, verse 9, uh, or just before verse 9, to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out. To those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst. Nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountain mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, and some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his, his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. So let's pause there. These verses are speaking about the work of the servant mentioned at the start of the chapter. What things will God's servant accomplish? So what do we have that we can list he's going to accomplish? He'll help us in the time of in the day of salvation, he'll keep us, he'll appoint you. Well, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Yeah, that first part that's, there, that part that you're reading, that's actually the Lord the speaking Lord. to his son, the I servant. So the Lord will help sorry. and establish his servant. And, you know, God gets all the glory and the credit. We actually, that fits my discussion here because I wanted to look at how is this found in Christ. Think about when Christ did his ministry. Um, it says he was strengthened by angels and he prayed for, you know, in the garden. And he, he was basically, according to his human nature, upheld by the Father. Even though, according to his divine nature, uh, he had all strength and power. He lowered himself. But okay, so the Father is going to send the Son and to cause him to fulfill his mission as the Son carries out his plan. And now it's really, it starts at verse 9, doesn't it? So... Was going to restore. Okay, yeah, that's one. Restore the land. So he's going to fix this 
this land that had lost possession of its people, he's going to restore the land. Actually, the, the land would be called desolate, and he would fill it back up. Do you think maybe this is why when Christ came, they may have thought that he was going to restore an earthly kingdom? Right. So they're they, referencing back to this. Yeah, to restore the land. When the Messiah came, they, they thought restore it from the Romans. Right. And they were looking at he's going to fulfill all the things the Messiah was promised to do. Well, people still think that with all the stuff going on in Israel right now, um, they're looking at things like this prophecy and saying, he's talking about the actual land of Israel. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Especially the, the Jews today would be looking for that, those who follow the Jewish faith. But a Christian says, the Christ has come. How does Christ fulfill this, restore the land? He pays the price to set us free, to bring us back to his kingdom. But restoring the land, does, does Jesus do this? It's not the fact that Jesus doesn't do this. It's, I think they were looking at the immediacy and the, the narrowness. You know, God had just said it's too small for you to restore the tribes of Jacob. So if, if you're only looking for him to restore the kingdom to Israel, you're missing the point, right? Uh, yeah. He said, you'll be a light for the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So this has to be a restoration of the entire earth if it's fulfilled in the way the Messiah is going to bring light to all. We go all the way back to verse 1. Listen to me, you islands, mm -hmm. you distant nations. Yeah. So it, it does start with Israel, but his end result and the end accomplishment of the Messiah is for the whole world. Uh, think about what Jesus says in the end of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 21. It's the vision there. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making everything new. Isn't that going to be a restoration of all things? Mm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a church in town that's called Restoration, and some churches have that, that title. If you're only looking for restoration of this life, you're missing what the Messiah ultimately will be accomplishing on the last day. He's going to restore all creation and make everything new. Um, and by that, there's going to be no enemies. We're going to see that that's a theme in this whole section that Isaiah is getting into is the Messiah is going to remove everything bad and all of the people that oppressed God. That's part of restoration is getting rid of the bad. Okay, what else? So we got restore the land. Well, in Pastor 2, in our meditations this week, it's in Matthew where it's the sheep and the goats. It, it really makes it very clear that... There's no way in between. Right, he's not going to leave behind some bad and just kind of let, you know, some, some corruption happen in his new creation. The judgment is a complete getting rid of all his enemies. What did you say in your sermon? There are no keep? Keeps. Yeah, keeps. <laughs> sure, when, when it comes to sheep and goats, you, you can, I guess, manipulate... They're super rare. You can create a, a geep, but they're sterile and they're very hard to, to produce. Just like a mule. Yeah, so, well, kind of like a mule. But from what, from what I, I'm not an expert on this, but from what I quickly looked up, geeps exist, but not really. <laughs> so you're not going to have a flock of geep. They're not don't. indigenous. Yes. <laughs> okay. And actually the other thing, so you could have a geep or a, a shoat. Shoat is some form of a pig, so that's a, that's a thing, but it's not a, what you think it would be. No. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> so set the captives free how about that right to say to the captives come out to those in darkness be free how does jesus do that set the captives free but being the light he is the light, the light. he frees us from the blindness that we were entrapped under under the devil's trap and he invites everyone everyone's invited to be saved to come to jesus yeah and everyone is captive by nature to sin, right? We're all yes. slaves to sin. Yes. Jesus spoke to the crowds, and they, yes. they were saying, you know, we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you call us slaves? He says, if, if you're a sinner, you're a slave to, sin. slave to sin. And uh, John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Also Luke 4.18, you know, he came to set the captives free. It was one of the first things he declared as Messiah when he came to his hometown. So yeah, it, the fulfillment of people coming out of Babylon is a partial fulfillment of this. But what the Messiah is going to do is set everybody free, not just that partial picture fulfilled in the return from exile. Um, going on, they will feed beside the roads, find pastures. Does Jesus do that? Does he feed his people? How does he feed them? With the word. Mm-hmm. 
It says, I am the bread of life, which came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So yeah, we're, we're fed by Jesus right now. He feeds us with his gospel. And I, I didn't, you know, look too much into this, but think of the picture in Revelation too, when it talks about the tree of the life will produce its fruit every month and yield its fruit and the people will eat of it. Uh, we're going to have feeding in heaven. You know, I guess we call it heaven, but it's really the new creation. It's not like we're just going to be spirits. We're going to have bodies and we're going to feast in God's kingdom. That's a picture that comes up a lot. But right now he feeds us too. Right now we are free. And right now we are actually restored too in that we're brought back to God's side. Okay, going on, what else is he, the Messiah going to do? So he's going to feed them. We're up to verse 10 now. So this part reminds me of Psalm 23. Okay. This whole section actually, but... Yeah, there's, there's a couple of perils here to Psalm mm -hmm. 23. He will, they will neither hunger nor thirst. The desert heat will not be down on them. The reason it might point you to Psalm 23 is because this is actually directly, almost directly quoted in Revelation. And it says the lamb at the center will, that the throne will be their shepherd. So it does tie in with the shepherd picture too. In verse 10, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters. Yeah. So the, the picture here comes from the book of Revelation uh, that they will neither hunger nor will they thirst. Uh, Revelation chapter 7. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. You know, John didn't write Revelation in a vacuum. He wrote it reflecting on all the pictures of Scripture being found in Christ and centered in his kingdom. And here's the picture from Isaiah that, that John was really drawing on, although it was, we know it's the Spirit leading John to point back to Isaiah's fulfilled. Uh, the shepherd will, will cause us to no longer hunger or thirst and will keep the heat away from us. Uh, I found Jesus saying, you know, Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So man doesn't live on bread alone, right? We're also going to be filled uh, once again as he feeds us. We won't lack God's word. And then John 14, not thirsting. Remember the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman, Jesus said, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we're starting, starting to see, just like we did in the first half of this chapter, verse by verse by verse can lead us to see Christ as, as the fulfillment. What's next? So what else is the servant of the Lord going to do? Definitely see Psalm 23 on, he will guide them and lead them beside springs of water, right? It definitely rings a bell of what David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. And isn't this interesting? The way, the way it talks, they will feed, they will feed. Now it gets to an active voice. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them. It's talking about the servant of the Lord, but it's describing things that God says he will do. God himself will do for his people. So we're already starting to see um, not just hints, but strong notions that this servant is the Lord himself. What was the reference in Revelation? That match the section? Yeah, so the reference is uh, Revelation 7. These are all getting, I'm kind of late. I'm about three weeks behind in posting this online. But th these will all be posted on our website so that people can find the suggested answer guide. How about uh, verse 11? I'll turn my mountains into roads, making the way smooth. Highways will be raised up. There's no longer to be a division as people want to approach God, right? They can now come before God, and the way is open. Jesus, who is the way. Uh, there I found Hebrews 10. Brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. It is a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So Jesus makes the way, opens the door to have access to God. You know, that is the one thing that really uh, benefited all of the mission work. The early mission work in the New Testament was the highway system. God used the Romans to do verse 11. Right. So you have yeah, uh, literal. The patrolled them, policed them. The yeah. Romans for their own army and so that they could control their empire built these magnificent roads, many yeah. still usable today. And God says, you know, that's going to be part of my literal fulfillment of this, that people can make their way 
two places like Jerusalem for the festival on Pentecost and the disciples can make their way between the cities as they spread the gospel. Yeah. And including sea travel. Oh, um, we missed one here. The, he who has compassion on them. When Jesus saw a large crowd, Mark 6, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And there Jesus also literally fed the 5,000, but he, before he fed the 5,000, we don't want to forget or miss the point, he fed them God's word first. And that's what they really needed. And he had compassion and fed them as, as they were sheep. So, yeah, definitely bringing us back to that shepherd picture in, in Christ. Uh, lead them to springs. Revelation 21 again, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. The old order has passed away. They will neither hunger nor thirst. And finally, as we read up to verse 13, 14, see verse 12, I guess. They will come from afar, from the north, from the west, from the south, from the region of Aswan. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 8? I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't just all of a sudden decide, oh, you know what? Israel's not enough. Let's, let's gather more people. That was the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years before, saying many people will come. And Jesus says, that's going to be fulfilled in me because of my kingdom gathering people from the east and the west and the north and the south. The region of Aswan, is that Egypt? You know, I used the... I used a different version when I was studying this, and I think it must have translated. What was your version say? Well, <coughs> oh, you got the study notes. Jewish and EHV both say uh, use the word uh, sinin, s i n i m, which uh, could be China. Okay. The the region of Simon. Hmm. So it, it's yeah. not it's not definite. We don't know exactly where it is, but it, it could infer places as far as China. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the Aswan Dam, dam that was built, you know, twentieth century. That's what the NIV took it as. So I didn't look at the Hebrew on this particular verse, but <coughs> different <coughs> translations apparently. Note, uh, EHV study notes is that uh, uh, the reading of the Hebrew maybe be a name for China, though this is a uncertain. The Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah reads S-Y-E-N-E, -E, a place near the southern border of Egypt. Okay, so there we get into what we call textual critical mm -hmm. questions of this is one word that's difficult in the Hebrew and the Masoretic text, which comes from about 900 AD. And then you got the Dead Sea Scrolls, about a thousand year older text, has a word that describes what might be a different location. So we're not exactly sure. Neat thing is, just like every variant reading in the, the Hebrew or Greek Bible, it doesn't really change the meaning at all. Um, it means distant lands that the people barely ever heard of, far away, will come to God's church. And that shouldn't trouble us because um, God preserved his text where it really mattered, all the, the key words and stuff. And if there ever is a corruption of the human hand that didn't copy it right, they're very slight and they never change a, a significant teaching at all. So that, that's just an amazing thing. Okay, so we read up to verse 13, where they're invited to shout for joy, for the Lord comforts his people and has a compassion. All this we see is the work of the Christ, and all this we see fulfilled in Christ. In Christ Jesus, the, the man Jesus from Nazareth, did everything that was prophesied and will continue to do everything that's spoken of in this work of the servant of the Lord. Verse 14, now we get to a little bit of an interlude. So Isaiah is kind of anticipating what, what the people of the, the time are saying. Remembering Isaiah's writing, maybe it's like 740 perhaps, we don't know what period of his ministry he might have written this, but he says, But Zion has said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So that's the way the people were feeling. And you can imagine as you, as you read you know, like in the middle of the book of Isaiah, when the Assyrians surround the city and the, the people are attacking them, even then, you know, the, the city wouldn't fall, but it still feels like God had deserted 
his people in the city of Jerusalem and separated himself from them. Can I read a note from my Bible? Sure, yeah, let's hear it. It says, Zion, personified as a woman, represents Jerusalem. She complained or lamented that God had abandoned her. The verses that follow suggest that what she missed was her children or the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Their absence in exile led her to suggest that God had forgotten her. Yeah, and we're going to see at the start of the next chapter, God's going to say to, to Jerusalem's children, he's going to say, did I divorce your mother? Where's their certificate of divorce? I never divorced her. Did I sell you guys off? I never did that. So here, Zion, which would be the mother of you know the children of Israel, the, the their city, had all God's promises. It was her David's city. It was it held the promise of the coming Messiah and, and the glory of God's kingdom. And Zion, yeah, personified like a person is saying, "I'm forsaken. The Lord's forgotten me." Wow. Yeah, one verse fourteen here in our, our study guide. When all the destruction came upon Jerusalem, the people would have felt <laughs> abandoned, forgotten by God. This. Is misguided since God was punishing the sins of the wicked and had not forgotten them. As for the faithful few, and by faithful I mean they still trusted the Lord. They were they still guilty of sin, but um, still in repentance and faith turned to the Lord. They were not forgotten. He was refining and rescuing them. Uh, can you share when we might feel forgotten, even when we remain in faith? When you become sick or major disease or something, or right. lose a job. Lost, you know. lost a yeah. <clears throat> so Jerusalem was facing great loss. Um, all the surrounding villages and towns and the, the fields were being trampled and, and taken over. And the, the loss that Jerusalem would feel a hundred years after Isaiah wrote this would have been complete destruction and exile. When we feel loss, and yeah, you lose the things that make you feel like you're secure and blessed and they get taken away. Does God still love me? Always. Always. Right. We're about to see that yeah, as we read on here. So what is next and what follows is, is comfort. Anytime someone feels they've experienced loss of God's love. Verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Sadly, you know, we, we would say that happens. It happens. But it's always a shock when it does, right? Though she may forget, and God acknowledges that, she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Bingo. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back. And those who you laid waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. You will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. And then going on, Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Thankfully, my children aren't saying that yet. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that. Thank you for then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left alone. But these, where have they come from? So this is not a bad problem, right? This is a, a sudden, unexpected good problem for Jerusalem to say, How did I suddenly find myself having so many children I don't have room for them anymore? So these, each of the seven verses actually has a poetic image of comfort. So let's see if we can break this down. Each of the seven verses, seven pictures of comfort. Let's see if we can break down what's the main point of each comforting image, and then try to apply it to the New Testament church. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Boy, there's a... Okay, so that's the second picture. What's the point of that? Well, we were all redeemed by his crucifixion, which included the nails piercing his hands. Certainly a neat picture when you, when you consider Christ still bears the scars, not marks of disgrace, but marks of glory and can show them that he's never going to forget his love for us. He says, look, see, I've, I've got these marks. 
So literally fulfilled in Christ, but also just the poetic imagery here in the Old Testament would have meant a lot even before the crucifixion. If, if you've got some engraving right before your hand, it's always before your face. So that God can't forget you. Definitely a neat picture. And you know, that's kind of the shame with some so-called churches today. They don't display the cross in their church because to them, the symbol of the cross is a symbol of disgrace. Right, they're missing the whole imagery of yeah. the glory of God and the comfort that it, it really gives the believer. So if you apply that to the New Testament church, does God ever turn aside or forget his church? Nope. Mm -hmm. uh, we are ever before him. He's constantly minding the business of his church and the missionaries, the pastors, the teachers, the flocks. Let's go to the previous verse. So we've got to find all seven here. How about verse 15? He will not forget us. Yeah. And the picture of a mother forgetting her child is kind of a, well, I would never do that. Maybe some mothers wouldn't. Yeah, How much more? It's kind of the lesser to greater. Though, though they may even fail, that's the best human relationship we can think of for tightness and bond. I will not forget. Right? Yeah. So apply that to the New Testament church. You know, Jesus said to Jerusalem as he's coming, you know, I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks beneath you. He longs to gather his church and loves and will not forget us. He's, a, he's not a mother, he's our, our Lord and our King, but the love of a mother can't even compare to the love of God found in Christ. How about verse uh, 17? So that's our third picture. Your children hasten back. Those who laid waste you depart from you. Well, he's protecting us from destruction. Mine says, your builders hurry. Those who destroy and devastate you will leave you. Yeah. So, so picture children that have been freed from captivity coming back and their captives jailed or locked away forever. So it's a neat picture of children running home, isn't it? Kind of reminds me of the parable or the, the story of the lost son and just the way that he came back home. Apply that. 70 years too, huh? Isn't that that period? Yeah, this was literally fulfilled as Cyrus would make that decree. We already saw Cyrus and the people would be allowed to come back to Jerusalem and it would be refilled and restocked. But applying it to the New Testament church, God's children are all those whom he has called those who by faith now belong as children of God. First John 3, that is what we are, children of God. Okay, verse 18. Lift up your eyes, look around you. All your children come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord. So God makes an oath here on himself. You will wear them as ornaments. You'll put them on like a bride. It's kind of a mixed metaphor there. So... You'll wear your children, or the city, the church, will wear children like jewelry is worn on a bride. What's the point of that imagery? Well, the bride is usually really special, so I would think... Make your children special, would, Yeah, if they're wearing them like jewelry and like a bride, that would make them really important. Yeah. So well, what, what makes the church so important? It's the people that God well, fills the with. The reputation that they give God. Like in other chapters, we talk about the Israelites or the people, they, they, they shame God's name by their actions. Sure. With their, by the bad deeds they did, they showed other nations that, well, their God must be nothing. You know, they, they brought dishonor to them. Yeah, just as the servant of the Lord is going to bring glory to the Lord, Jesus will bring glory to the Father, the members that are brought in will then be those that bring glory to God's name. And that's actually going to be part of our study, if you guys can come on Sunday on Malachi, talking about God giving glory to his name and not defiling his name. So, yeah, the, the point of that is Jerusalem is going to have believers, people who have a new life of faith, people who glorify their God, people who are decorations, not <clears throat> defilements of God's church and his temple. And along with faith come their deeds. Yep. And it's not going to be them, as we know, that get the credit. It will be God. He's the one doing this. He's the one prophesying. He's the one that's fulfilling it. Um, kind of similar to Peter's temple that we're all living stones being built into the temple. 
So this does apply to the New Testament church. Certainly it's, you know, when, when Jerusalem and the city was rebuilt, the faithful believers were a decoration to, to see them restored and building again, but it's fulfilled in the New Testament church in Christ when believers are brought uh, to be part of that church and to serve God and to glorify his name. We are the, the light. Not, we're not called to become a light. He's made us to be the light as children of God. How about verse 19? What's the main point of that picture? The land goes from desolate to filled. So God's kingdom, his church, goes from empty to filled. Think how quickly that happened on the day of Pentecost as the numbers started to grow. At one point, Elijah could say, I'm the only one left. And God says, there's still 7,000. And then still many centuries later, God says, I'm going to fill my church. It's not going to, my church will never perish. It'll be filled up. How about verse 20? What's the main point of verse 20? This place is too small. Give us more space, your children will say. My Bible says, we need more room. It's crowded here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need more room. It's crowded here. <laughs> Sounds like a baby in the womb. Yeah. <laughs> But in this case, that's probably a good thing because that yeah. means the believers exactly. are gathering and there's more and more. Right. Yeah, so you get used to fellowship. The main point would be, imagine, you know, we, we have our, this is probably our smallest Bible study yet this year, but imagine if more people came in the door and suddenly like, oh, we've got to move to those tables because we don't fit at this table. It, on the surface, you could say, well, that's a problem, but it's not really a problem. It's, that's a blessing to have more than you can fit. Or maybe our Christmas Eve service, we got to set up extra chairs in the entryway because we don't fit in the pews. It's not a problem. It's an extraordinary blessing. For sure. And picture God's believers coming into the church saying, is there a spot for me? Make room. And there's so many, like, where do we put all these? And then I like verse 21. It's related, isn't it? The mother's wondering about all this. She's like... <laughs> How would this happen? They know, how that, they know what causes that now. <laughs> Who brought these up? I, I was alone. Where they've come from? Well, these are children that were born to her during that time when she thought she was alone, when God was having them, them grow. Uh, the children that were brought into exile have grown. And that, that should be the case. When, when we are doing evangelism and we're doing it faithfully, the New Testament church should experience that. Not always. Sometimes there'll be times when we do face, like the Israelites did, the, the persecution, the, the time of, as Peter says, suffering and trials. But there also will be times when we're saying, where did all these people suddenly come from? It's, it's the work of God. Right now, we're, we're experiencing that in some of our mission fields. Um, think about you know, the, the seminary training facility in Vietnam, and where did that come from? We didn't expect that you know, a few years back, that we'd have that opportunity to reach so many people. And and the, the church continues to grow. Okay, so we got seven pictures we looked at. Which one of those gives you the most comfort right now out of those seven pictures? I like that name on the palm of this hand. Sure, inscribed on the palms. Definitely a concrete image. Just to know, you know, when, when God says he's... He knows you. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, he's, he's paying attention. Kind of reminds me of a Psalm 1 when it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Some translations put that as the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That mm -hmm. He knows. He, he numbers the hairs on your head. He's aware of what you're facing. He's not going to forget you. He can't forget you. That's basically the way to say that, right? He can't forget you. That picture of um, we're always in his mind, always in front of him, that comes right after that, that section. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to share? So yeah, that's definitely a comforting picture. I like the one about the mother wondering. To me, it's, it's almost comical, I think. It's I, comical because we say that sometimes. <laughs> we look around, we're like, where did all these kids come from? Right. <laughs> so I, I think God has a sense of humor, and, and sometimes we get too serious in our interpretation and don't recognize that's okay for God to inject some humor in there that this picture of a mother saying where did these children come from <laughs> oh especially in Proverbs sense of humor <laughs> yep the nagging wife is like a drippy faucet better to sit on your roof <laughs> right yeah no you got it that that's a, a humorous humorous or 
Der Berda. A funny picture. Okay, <laughs> I think we got time to take uh, verse 22 to 23, right? Yep. So 22 and 23. Someone else want to read that? Because I think the microphone will pick you up pretty good today. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Okay, so we got a little bit of an answer for Jerusalem wondering, what, well, where did these all come from? Think of the, the picture. The people were taken from Jerusalem, brought to Babylon. They had to live in exile, and then they returned after they had already multiplied and, and grown. So Isaiah prophesies here that the expanded family of God will come from kings and queens who will give up their children to be part of Israel. Um, also they're called, they will carry your daughters and your sons in their arms and then their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers, queens your nursing mothers. Explain how this is fulfilled. Jesus is the king of kings. <laughs> yeah, if we put it, if we jump right away to the New Testament church, it certainly is fulfilled that our king Jesus is our brother. And our King Jesus is the one who brings the increase as he sends his gospel and causes the church to grow. Is this fulfilled at all in um, the people of Israel, in history? So is there some type or partial fulfillment here? When Jeremiah prophesied, that, that's after they had been to exile, he, he said, hey, you're in exile, build houses, he said. Get married, have children, bless the, the people that are now your new you know, kings as you live in a foreign land, because God's eventually going to take you out of there. But while you're there, he wants you to be blessed and to increase. So as they're going off to exile, that's the last word they get is, hey, Isaiah's prophecy is going to come true, that you'll be underneath the oversight of these other rulers, but you're going to increase and be blessed and going to grow. And that happened once before in history, before then. With it did. Egypt. Yep. Is that something how God gives us these pictures that he has a plan? It's like a foreshadow mm -hmm. where God's saying, this is what's going to take place. I can use any setting, any way to carry out my plan. And, and think about people like Daniel, too. You know, he was brought up in the palace. And though Daniel was not one of the waves of returning exiles, there were many under his time. Yeah, God had plans for them. Also... Not only 70 years of exile do you see them coming back uh, from a foreign land. You also see in history many people from all nations becoming part of the family of God through faith. Think about how that started with the, the Magi, right? <coughs> and they bowed down to worship the newborn king. Where's the one born king of the Israel? We've come to worship him. So they're sometimes called the three, three kings. They probably weren't necessarily kings, and we don't know if there were three. But we do know that they were those who came to worship royalty, and they themselves were of high position. And once again, Matthew 8, Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and take their spot at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, we, we talk about Revelation 7. Uh, Revelation 7 draws on a lot of these pictures here. After these things I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb. So there you have it, the fulfillment that they will bring your sons and daughters on their arms and their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers, queens your nursing mothers. And you do have, throughout history, many prominent rulers, you know, men like Constantine that turned to the Christian faith. And... Even though it was unexpected, suddenly you had the, the Christian church finding people of high standing turning to, to the Word of God. Maybe we can finish off this uh, chapter, right? 
Verse 24, can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fears? But this is what the Lord says, yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you, and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will drink on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I was listening to a, a history podcast about the the fall of the Aztec Empire and just some of the details that the, the Aztec people recorded of the, the atrocities and the, the way that they were slaughtered with bodies just piling up was pretty gruesome and just talking about the way that their, their bodies were cut open, but then conversely how they would do gory things. But look what God says here. They will eat their own flesh. They'll be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Pretty, pretty stark and graphic picture there, isn't it? Uh, God really wants to bring out uh, this truth. If you are going to have rescue, if you're going to be set free, you can't just be set free. What needs to be done? You need to get rid of the oppressors and the captors. Think about when God rescued them from Egypt, how the army of Pharaoh was drowned in the sea. And the people sang for joy as their bodies washed up on the shore. So it seems gruesome as if you think about it, but... If this is God saying, I'm going to destroy all of your enemies, I think that that graphic picture is actually not something we, we delight in gory or, or spilling of blood, but rather that graphic picture is for our comfort to say, don't worry about them. God's going to completely take care of them. They are going to have their fate come on their own heads, those who oppressed you. So... God will rescue the, the captive children of Israel, and we are rescued as he takes care of our enemies. We should, we should expect that, that dual picture here, that rescuing means dealing with evil. I like that in there, and all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. Well, it's like, and at the end, every knee will bow right. and confess. Before this, we had the... Lord. The licking the dust, that is, the kings and rulers who didn't acknowledge the king of kings. And the same thing on Judgment Day. Everybody on Judgment Day will have to bow down before him. Even those who pierced him and who didn't repent. So let's look at how we're rescued. I had a couple verses that maybe we can finish with this today. Looking up uh, Luke 11, 14 to 20. 1 John 3, 8. Revelation 12, 9 to 12, and Galatians 1, 4. I've got Luke 11. So keeping in mind what we just read at the end of chapter 49, let's compare that to Scripture in the New Testament. So you got Luke 11, 14 to 20? I've got that. Okay. Now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said... He drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebub. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. Thanks. So how are we rescued, according to what we read there in Luke 11, in the work of Jesus? Yeah, and what does Christ do to the, the demons and the forces of evil? He shows his authority over them. Um, this picture, it says, I will contend with those who contend with you. Plunder will be taken from the fierce. The devil has no power anymore. Uh, when Jesus came, he showed that he had power over the devil. And just as we confess in the creed, he descended into hell. We, we confess what the Bible says, that he triumphed over his enemies by the cross. How about 1 John 3, 8? Someone have that one? Okay. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. 
So Jesus came to show his power over demons and Satan. destroy the work of the devil, of Satan. So if we look at these verses here, I will contend with those who contend with you. The devil contends against God's people. It's not just people like the Babylonians or those that threaten the United States or your home or people that try to break in and steal. The one who contends with you are the spiritual forces of evil. But the Son of Man came to destroy them. And look at the picture of destruction prophesied here, that the devil's going to have to eat his own flesh, which he doesn't have flesh, drink his own blood. If he is an enemy of God, he's going to be ultimately in the dust, humiliated, defeated. How about uh, Revelation 12? Someone have Revelation 12, 9 to 12? So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God day and night, has been thrown down. They conquer him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. Yeah. So there's part of that contention, that vision of a picture in heaven, the devil being cast down from heaven, and his time is short now. Now, even though, because of our sinful nature, we sin all the time. So sin is never really, even though we do sin every day, by daily repentance and prayer. Um, we, we live in grace. Right. We're under that by faith. So we have, we're not like, now we're outside of God's kingdom, now we're inside of God's kingdom. We... We are in it, sinners and saints at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, are you getting at how we rescued from ourselves? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. No, you, you made a comment earlier uh, about, uh, never mind. It is true. We have a, a sinful nature that, that does contend against what is good for us. But we know even that will be dealt with because that, that part will die at death. And we'll be raised without a sinful nature. So, how about Galatians 1 4 finally? As God contends with our enemies. I never thought of that before. That the moment of death is when our sinful nature dies. We will no longer struggle against the flesh when, <laughs> when our flesh is made new. Galatians 1 4. Someone have that one? Grace to you and peace. Mine starts at three. It's mid-sentence. Sure. It starts, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse four, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from his present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So how are the captive children of God rescued from their enemies? Through our Lord Jesus Christ's grace. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So we are in an evil age, but the one who is your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob, gave himself to contend with our enemies, to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. Just a neat chapter, all of chapter 49, I hope you saw that every part of it points to the work of Christ as the servant of the Lord. And we're gonna see more chapters as we go forward. Isaiah just keeps expounding on the work of the Messiah and the church. Um, these, are, these are fulfilled in part in the work of God delivering his people from, from Babylon. But remember how he says, listen nations, islands, pay attention because he wants all to hear what his servant is going to do for, for all nations. <coughs> and that's the confusing part is, now these are the same scriptures that the Jewish leaders had, but they missed the whole point when Christ came. They, they saw some of the points, and they, they saw oh, God rescued our people from Babylon, now when's he going to rescue us from Rome? And they didn't right. see the bigger, they the bigger picture of the Messiah. Right. 
even though when it talks, you know, the, the, the graphic gets quite graphic to the point where Jesus is going to be our redeemer. Yeah. From sin, not just from the Romans. We're going to see that as we get further in Isaiah, that sin is the real issue. He's going to talk about our iniquities, our sins being dealt with. But, you know, go back to the start of Isaiah, right? Let's reason together, he says, was that chapter 1 even? Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. That God has to deal with not just our enemies. He's got to deal with the curse and sin itself. Yeah, this is going to be a good study. I'm looking forward to the next portions. We, we've covered 10 chapters now, so... Congratulations on <laughs> 20 weeks or so of covering 10 <laughs> chapters of the Bible. Who was our longest study, Kings? Uh, either Psalms or Kings, yeah. But we'll see. Isaiah might break our record. We'll, we'll find out. I'm going to have us continue in Isaiah for a while, and eventually we'll be taking some other topics just for a, a segue, like we did before. with a, We took a five-week break before, I think, too. But next time we meet, there's a handout for chapter 50, 1 to 3. I think I got a little bit carried away with that one because there's just so many in those verses. So hopefully we can cover three verses next time. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I appreciate your discussion and, and delving into this and, and doing the, the meditation and the work it takes to, to appreciate how, as Jesus says, these are the scriptures that speak about me. And to marvel at that, that God fulfilled it all in him. Why don't we say a prayer regarding what we looked at. Lord, we praise you for carrying out what could never be imagined, that your church would grow and expand beyond what could ever be expected as you dealt with our enemies. And when we at times feel like the people felt in Isaiah's time that you had forgotten them, remind us that you can never forget us, uh, that we are forever before your eyes as you in love are our Redeemer and Savior. Amen.